Ephesians 5. Here's God's word to you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. All right, church, first word of this passage, if you've got a Bible or it's up on the screens, is is therefore, and uh, just a little clue in your Bible reading, your Bible study, is that whenever you come across the word therefore, just let it immediately just kind of be a, a prompt to ask the question, what is the therefore, therefore? Now, if he says, uh, uh, therefore, uh, as dearly beloved children, be imitators of God, uh, okay, what's he mean, therefore? And, and you always look back in the previous passage, paragraph, chapters, and in this instance, you see it right in the very previous verse where he said to forgive each other as God has forgiven you, therefore be imitators of God. And so that's the connection. He just had said, okay, church, okay, people in Ephesus, you've got to forgive each other as God has forgiven you. And then he broadens it, therefore, be imitators of God. Be imitators of God in forgiving each other. Be imitators of God in every way. And specifically, where he will emphasize is to walk in love. Therefore, because God has forgiven you and loved you, and you're imitators of God as dearly loved children, walk in love. And so in our brief passage at the start of the great Ephesians 5, his, he's got a single charge to us, a single command, walk in love, focus on love, live in love. Whatever you do in your lifetime, whatever you accomplish, whatever you focus on, you've got to be a lover or nothing else matters. Now, I've got a challenge this morning, and so do you, because, I mean, can we get a bigger platitude than love people? You know, that, that's just kind of like a, a asking, you know, let me turn my brain off here. We, we know about love. And, and so it's a little challenge here. But this is what we're going to do. We're going to see where he roots the love so that we'll have the wellspring for loving. And then we're going to see some of the unmistakable characteristics of love, three characteristics. This is real love. It looks like this. And then we're going to be as concrete as we can and talk about 10 specific ways in our everyday life that we express love. The challenge is, for all of us, is that you know, most of us would say, you know, we're pretty loving people. In fact, if we did a little survey here, I bet if we were asked, are, are you in the top half of the people here about loving? I bet 99% of us would say, yeah, I'm in the top 50%. Well, you know, that math doesn't work quite that way. 99% of us are not in the top 50 percentile. So all of us just about feel like, you know, we're not bad at this. We're pretty good at this. And uh, the truth of the matter is, is that um, we could raise the bar when it comes to loving people. Now, some of us are a little bit task-oriented by nature. Type A, hard-pushing, uh, you know, focus on that task, drive hard, hard, hard. I, I know I'm not the only one uh, like that. We particularly need this charge uh, that 
look, what really matters in your life on the day you die is not if you built a great company or made a lot of money or had a lot of achievement or lived in a great big house, but how did it go when it comes to loving people? And I need that charge. Now, half of you or so are not so much type A. You're a little bit more people-oriented, and God bless you. We need people like you out there. But the truth is that even you are not perfect when it comes to love. You, too, could raise the bar. And so, my question, what does God have to say to you this morning when it comes to loving people in your life? And that's what we're going to unpack. That's what we're going to unfold. The challenge right from the, from the get-go, walk in love, focus on love, major in love. And, of course, all through the Scriptures, it is uh, very clear. It's the greatest commandments, love God, love people. Uh, this is the, how people will know that you're Christians, my followers, if you have love for one another. 1 Peter 4, 8, above all else, love one another fervently. For love covers a multitude of sins. Just over and over and over, 1 Corinthians 13, if you don't have love, you don't have anything. So this is why you're on the planet. Not to be a great success and massage your ego, but to love people. Not only the people in your family, but people at church, small group, people in your work, people in your neighborhood, people, uh, the clerk at HEB, the stranger at Walmart, the obnoxious neighbor down the street who needs some real healing prayer, the annoying co-laborer at work who doesn't carry their share, the uncle who abused you, love them, love them, love them. Not just the easy people but the hard people, and not just the friends, but the enemies. Okay, that's the call. All righty, he sets this in a context when he says, walk in love, because right before it and right after it, he says, uh, he reminds them how loved they are by God. L look at the text there. He says in Ephesians 5, he says, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us. So right before, right after, he talks about how loved we are by God. Now, 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 now church, this is the context. If you go out and try to, uh, you know, kind of grit your teeth and just love people, especially people that are hard to love, it's not going to work. That well is going to run dry. But if there is an overflowing, ever, never-ending river of love pouring into you from your God on high, then it won't run dry. And this is where he sets us. He says, you are beloved children. You are so loved by God. You're so loved by God. That's maybe the hardest thing in theology to grasp. That the God of the universe, despite my sin and failure, is crazy in love with me. Just crazy in love with me. The only thing we can do is look at it like our children or our grandchildren. These are three of our four grandkids. That's Ryan, Rhett, and Evie recently taken picture, and they recently moved to Israel, which is a little bit tough for us, but we know God's going to bless them there. But uh, now, Ryan, Rhett, and Evie, and the fourth one, Wren, 
Uh, we don't love them because they clean their rooms, because they're always sweet to each other and never argue, uh, because they are good. That's not why we love them, is it? We love them just because it is our nature to love them. We love them because God put it in our heart to love them. We love them because we could not not love them. They came out of the womb. We were loving them. Now, that's easy to understand, but you've got to get it, that God loves you just that way times a billion square. Okay, not because you're at church this morning, not because you're a Christian, not because you're working hard, not because you read your Bible and give money and serve, serve in church, none of those reasons. God loves you because it is His nature to love you. He could not not love you. He is crazy in love with you. He could not love you more. And if you believe that, and if you'll accept that and receive that and let God love you, in fact, I encourage you every morning, start your day that way. Lord God, I just receive your love afresh this morning and just bask in his love and let him love you. Immerse yourself in his love. Then you've got the wellspring to love other people, including difficult people. Now, he's not through. As beloved children walk in love, as Christ loved us, just to accent it some more. Christ loved us. And then he goes on to say, and gave himself up for us. Do you know every time in the New Testament, not every time, so many times, when the Bible talks about God's love for us, there's some mention of the cross right in the immediate context. It'll just immediately go on and die for us. And this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and gave his son as the propitiation for our sins. Romans 5, 8, but God proves his own love for us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, and on and on like that. The cross, the cross, the cross. If God in heaven, the sovereign, infinite, eternal God who breathed out the galaxies with his mere breath, came to this earth as a man and died on a bloody cross to pay for all of your sins forever, it shows his love for you. Church, I am appealing to you as I am appealing to me. Shut your ears to the lie of Satan that you've got to perform to earn God's love. Shut them. Shut them. And know deep in your soul that God loves you. It's what the Bible tells you. Believe it. Believe it. Okay, having received God's love, that's the wellspring, the source to love other people. Now, um, the song this morning I wrote down on a piece of paper. Here it is. Uh, that first song, uh, no, the fourth song in the first, first service, You're a Good, Good Father. Great song, isn't it? And he's going along, and we're singing that, and uh, he's saying, um, uh, you, you love me. Uh, I wish Colin was here, somebody like that. What's, what's the words of that? You love me, that's who you are. Somebody remember that? Help me out, Lisa. What's that word say? You're a good, good father. That's who you are. Yeah, and then and that's the next part. That's the part I wrote down. And I'm loved by you. It's who I am. Now, that is profound. It's who I am. I am a human being, a middle-aged older man who is loved by God. I am not primarily Pastor of Wood's Edge. And you're not primarily business guy, homemaker, engineer, teacher. You are. Nothing else, nothing short, nothing bigger 
than the man or the woman who is incredibly loved by God. It's who I am. And that changes everything if we believe it. It's who I am. It's who I am. In our day and age, I think that the writer who is the biggest prophet of the love of God was a very unusual man. His name was Brennan Manning. He was a Catholic priest. He struggled with alcoholism for a long time in his life. He just was an interesting guy. He, later in his life, he had just such a broad ministry to all kind of people. And uh, in one of his books, he writes this. It's Ragamuffin Gospel. He says, over a hundred years ago in the Deep South, a phrase so common in our Christian culture today, born again, was seldom or never used. He said, rather, the phrase used to describe the breakthrough into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ was this phrase, I was seized by the power of a great affection. And I think that is so good because that just kind of puts the initiative with God and the tender love of God. We're not talking a cosmic stooge here. We're talking about the Father in heaven who has great affection for us, and I was seized by that great affection. That is a great picture. Later, he says, seized by the power of a great affection was a visceral description of the phenomenon of Pentecost, authentic conversion, and the release of the Holy Spirit. The phrase lent new meaning to the old Russian proverb, those who have the disease called Jesus will never be cured. I feel that way. I hope you feel that way. I feel like I have been so loved by Jesus Christ that I will never get over it. I cannot be cured. I'm hopeless. And I hope you are too. Because he's crazy about you. And he loves you. Okay. That's where our loving others starts. By loving God. The more you enjoy God's love for you, the more you're going to express God's love for others. The more you enjoy God's love for you, the more you're going to express God's love for other, others. No wonder Satan's biggest strategy is to get you to doubt God's love for you. No wonder. Okay, then the charge to love, walk in love, focus on love, measure on love. And the whole New Testament calls us to the priority, to the uh, urgency, to the importance of loving other people. You don't have love, you don't have anything. Now, um, it is easy to love people who love you back who are sweet, kind, gentle people. They're, they're, all, they're all over. We have people all around us who are easy to love. Maybe you live with some of those kind of people. And, and we ought to love those people. But you know what? If you're loving just those people, that's no big deal. Jesus said even the Gentiles do that. That's no big deal. That's almost a reflexive human thing to do. But God's called us to love people who are hard to love who are difficult to love, love those kind of people. And so that's what we're going to be talking about a little bit here later. Now, we're at the cusp of, the, of a new football season. And some of you, that gives you a smile. And some of you, that gives you a groan. Uh, I'm on the smile side myself. I'm looking forward to the football season, hoping the Texans will do something this year. Um, let me tell you a football story. Uh, the teams are playing all year to get to the Super Bowl so they can win a trophy. What is that trophy called? Come on, sports fans. Lombardi Trophy. 
that is named after Vince Lombardi. When I was a young boy, first getting interested in sports, I was 13 years old, and they started the Super Bowl in 1967. And the first Super Bowl game was the Green Bay Packers versus the Kansas City Chiefs. And the next year, Green Bay Packers versus the Oklahoma Raiders, the Oakland Raiders. I might get that backwards, but I think it's that way. And uh, the first two Super Bowls, Vince Lombardi was the coach of the Green Bay Packers. And Vince Lombardi was considered in his lifetime the legendary coach in the NFL. He died young of cancer, and he is still considered a legendary football coach. He, he was considered this tough guy who could win football games, and they still play for the Lombardi Trophy. Well, Vince Lombardi was once asked, you know, what does it take to be, to, to be such a winner with football? What does it take to win games the way you win games? He gave three answers. The first two were standard football questions. You need to know the fundamentals of the game. Start with the fundamentals. Secondly, there's got to be discipline. Can't have any lax discipline going on. Got to be discipline. The third one could not be more shocking. This is what he said. He said, there are a lot of coaches with good ball clubs who know the fundamentals and have plenty of discipline, but still don't win the game. If you're going to play together as a team, you've got to care for one another. You've got to love each other. Each player has to be thinking about the next guy and say to himself, if I don't block that man, Paul is going to get his legs broken. I have to do my job well in order that he can do his. Then he says, he concludes, the difference between mediocrity and greatness is the feeling these guys have for each other. Now, think about that. Are you kidding me? Here is this fierce football coach in a game that's involving crushing each other's bodies, and he says that if you don't love each other, you're not going to win football games. Now, if that is true in football, how much more true is that in the church, in the family, in the workplace, in the neighborhood, in our hearts? The priority, the urgency, the all-out importance of majoring on love. Now, some of us, uh, we're majoring on some other things. Uh, we're thinking, you know, when we get to the end of our life, this is what we would accomplish. Friends, if we accomplish all in the world and we're not lovers of people, we failed. We've missed it. This is the urgent priority of human life. This is why you're on the planet. You're not on the planet to make a lot of money, be a great success, have a beautiful home, travel widely. Those aren't bad things. They're just not what you're on the planet for. You're on the planet, first of all, to love God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. Love them, love them, love them. Now, what's that going to look like? Let's, let's, see, let's get a little more concrete because if we leave it at the abstract level, this is useless. Matters not. We just walk out, oh, yeah, I'm going to love people. All right, let's be more concrete. Let me give you three characteristics of love. One, love is always sacrificial. That is, it will cost you something. It'll cost you time. It'll cost you caring. It'll cost you money. It will cost you your life's blood. It'll cost you. Uh, isn't that the passage, what we read here when he says, be imitators of God as dearly loved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering pleasing to God. He sacrificed. 
If you want to know the love of God, look at the cross. Look at the cross. Look at the cross, the sacrifice of God. Our love will always be sacrificial. Sometimes it's very little sacrifice. Sometimes it's a great big sacrifice. I was talking to a, a man earlier, second service. He's retired. He, he, he and his wife, uh, they, they live in a great home. You know, they could just kind of coast up, but they have adopted. They aren't adopted. They have fostered for the last year, and, and it's ongoing, this young man from Haiti, and it's changing their life. That's a sacrifice. But it's not, it doesn't have to be something so big as adoption. Um, that, that is way up there. But, but in any way you love, it will cost you. For example, um, Sam, here in the front row, says, Jeff, I really need prayer. I'm just so frustrated with this. I'm really struggling. Now, if I am faithful to go out and start praying for, for Sam, what if every day I pray for him for the next several weeks? That's going to cost me some time, isn't it? It's going to cost me some time. Probably going to cost me a little bit of energy. However small the act of love is, it will cost you. Get, just get that about love. It will cost you. Now, on the other extreme, we can think of a real big example. Uh, Gail's parents, her dad had Alzheimer's the last 10 years of his life. Now, some of you have had a parent or a grandparent with Alzheimer's, and you know what a sad, tragic, difficult disease that Alzheimer's is. And Gail's mom cared for him for 10 years. Now, I once did it for about two hours, and it wore me out. I mean, it just wore me out. He was just continued, constant, you know, just needing something. She, for 10 years, she took care of her husband, and it probably cost her several years of her life. She died young, uh, early, two years after he had died. It cost her big time. Love costs. It always costs. It's sacrificial. Secondly, love is unselfish. It's just the most unselfish thing. It is just all about the other. Now, church, this is tough because we are, uh, by nature, have, have this deep uh, fiber of self-centeredness just running right down the, the, the heart of who we are. And it's just hard to, to escape that. If somebody engages you in conversation afterwards, you probably would like them to talk about your favorite subjects and engage you and hear about your world and might be thinking about, you know, how do I look? How do I sound? How am I coming across? You know, it's all about self so much. For example, in about six weeks or so, we're going to get to marriage. And we're going to be looking at the, what the Bible says about marriage and some specific illustrations about marriage. And you're, some of you are going to be out there with your spouse, and, and when I go over some of those illustrations, you're going to be thinking, man, I hope she heard that. <laughs> Rather than saying, oh God, change me. Oh, change me. Selfish. It, it is deep in breadth. I, I, I came across this quote. This woman said something like this. She said, I used to think that loving people meant being nice. But now I know that it is the most immense unselfishness, and it is so big I've never touched it. And when I read that quote, I thought, that's me. That's me. It is the most immense unselfishness, and it is so big I've never touched it because I've got such a streak of self-centeredness running down my throat. Love is unselfish. It is Jesus dying for sinners. Thirdly, love goes out, especially to those who don't deserve it. It doesn't just go out to, to those who are uh, loving you back or easy to love. When Christ died on the cross for you, you were rebels. You were sinners. You were enemies. 
You had rejected stiff-armed God, but He loves you anyway. Love especially goes out to those who don't deserve it. Now, we've got to process this part, because we could walk out of this room today and thinking, yeah, I can love the people who are loving. I can love the people who are friendly and nice. Uh, Todd, where is easy for me to love? He's a friendly guy. I like him. But uh, what about the, the person who um, talks about you behind your back? What about the friend who has betrayed you? What about the, the neighbor who is just so obnoxious and uncaring and unloving? What about the person who has ripped your heart right out of your chest? Love that person. Love that person. The difficult to love. Real love. Christ-like love. Love's like the way. Let me tell you a brief story from Tony Campalo. Many of you know the name Campalo. It's not as well known today, but he was a speaker writer out of Philadelphia. Kind of a bigger-than-life personality. Tony Campalo tells the story of walking down Chestnut Street in Philadelphia, and there is a homeless man coming to him, a great big man. He said he had a gigantic beard. He may have called it a gigantic red beard, and there was rotted food in that beard. And he said the, the man was filthy and clearly homeless, and he was kind of mumbling to himself as he's walking down, and he's holding a McDonald's cup of coffee. And as he's mumbling to himself, and he kind of sees me over here, he stops and pauses and says to me, he says, Mr., would you like some of my coffee? And Campalo thought he ought to be nice, loving, and take a drink of his coffee. And so he did, handed it back, and uh, Campalo just engages him a little bit and says, Bo, you're awfully generous this morning giving away your coffee. What's, what's gotten into you that you're giving away your coffee this morning? And he said the man responded this way. He said, well, I figure that when God gives you something good, you ought to share it with other people. And Campalo thought, oh, he's got me now. <laughs> he said he's going to hit me up for $5. And, um, and so he responds. He says, well, is there anything that I can give you? And the man said, yes. Would you give me a hug? Campalo thought to himself, I'll take the five bucks. <laughs> he said the man came over to him, put his arms around him, hugged him tight, said, I put my arms around him. Here I am, this, you know, establishment kind of guy with a suit on in the morning traffic of, of the Philadelphia street, and these people are walking by, and here I am uh, hugging this homeless man who's filthy and smells, and he says, and the man is not letting me go. He's just hanging on. And he said, I, get so, I, I got so embarrassed that he's just hanging on to me this way. And he said, but, but after a time, the embarrassment turned to awe, and I could sense the voice of God in my heart saying this, I was hungry, and you fed me. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was a bum on Chestnut Street, and you hugged me. And church is a reminder to me that love can be messy at times. In fact, um, it's always going to be messy because every single person you love is going to be a very flawed individual who's going to mess up and at times hurt you. And God has called us to walk in love. All right, let me just take it one level more concrete in the last few minutes and just give you 10 questions, the acid test of love. Because all of us can walk out of here and say, oh yeah, I'm loving, I'm loving. 
I mean, who would say I'm just, I'm just an unloving individual? Hardly anybody. But here, here are the 10 tests of love. Could give 20 or 30, but here's my 10. Okay, number one, are you a good listener? That is, do you listen well, or are you the incessant talker? You know what Lewis said about that, don't you? Satan is the author of incessant autobiography, always talking about yourself. But, but you're not always talking about yourself. You, you, you listen. Now, listening is not staring at somebody with a blank face, certainly not glaring at them. It is, uh, it, 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 it's with your eyes saying, I want to understand you, and you ask probing questions. It's a simple art that most people don't have. But, but listening is a powerful way to express love because you know what? Every single person needs to be listened to, especially your children and especially the person you're married to and especially the hurting, hurting single parent who feels all alone and especially every other person on the globe. It's powerful. Are you a good listener? You can't, you can't say, hey, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a great lover of people and you're a lousy listener. Um, that doesn't work. Secondly, um, are you a big-hearted forgiver? Now, forgiveness may be the biggest test of love. If, if love, if listening is maybe the first duty of love, I would say forgiveness is the biggest test of love, the most powerful expression of love. Um, a couple came up to me. I'm not going to use names, so I'm not going to embarrass anybody, but, you know, uh, a husband had been unfaithful to his wife, and, and they got divorced, and uh, they, they, he said... Uh, we're getting remarried. We're engaged to get remarried. That's forgiveness. That's love. That's powerful. And they're, they're in this room right now. Um, this is a tough one. Because when somebody hurts you, when they gossip about you or, or betray you, and they're supposed to be a friend, or, or, or when they rip your heart out, I mean, to forgive them? I mean, that's just hard. But it is what love is about. We're not talking about loving easy people to love, but loving even hard people to love. The way Jesus loves you. Father, forgive them for they don't know what they do. You know, 1 Peter 4, 8 is one of the great challenges of love. And it says this. It says, above all, keep on loving one another fervently because love covers a multitude of sins. Now, that's interesting. He says, love each other above all, love each other fervently, because love covers a multitude of sins. In other words, and love is going to take forgiveness, because people are going to hurt you, and they're going to mess up. Friends, if you are unwilling to forgive somebody, not only is it a measure of are you filled with anger and self-righteousness, but it is a complete failure of love, and you are ruining your life and probably the lives of some people close to you. It is just poison. Let it go. Let it go. Doesn't mean you're the best friends. Doesn't mean you're going to trust them. But it means you're going to choose before God. God, I give up my right to hold a grudge. Give it up. We say it every Sunday morning. Father, forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. As you've forgiven our debts. Father, forgive us. Are you forgiving? Is there anybody God bringing to mind right now? you got to forgive. Choose to. Choose to. Number three, a little quicker, do you serve people? You know, my, my, Gail, is, this is her strength. She, she leads with this. Uh, it, it's not mine, but just in tangible, physical ways of serving people. 
Uh, many of you just are great at that. I, we got people all over the church who are just incredible servers. But I'm talking about at home doing the dishes, looking to serve in the neighborhood, in the workplace, at church. We've got a servanthood Sunday. You know, it's holding a baby once a month in the nursery so a young couple can come into the church and have a little bit of a break. It's, it's going to the parking crew once a month and, and having to sweat uh, profusely during that Houston summer but so that people can get in and, and park away. It's simple ways, practical ways to serve people in every area of life. Four, do you pray frequently and fervently for people? Now, back to my illustration with Sam. If Sam has a real burden in his life and he asked me to pray for him, I believe that uh, me praying for Sam and that big need is the single most loving thing that I can do for Sam because it's not just my resources to bear. It's the resources of Almighty God brought to bear. And it is unseen, and it is, you know, you're, you're not thanked for it, but, but it is the, the most loving thing you can do. Do you, do you often find yourself praying for people? Uh, five, do you accept people who are different? Now, here we are in a nation today that we're more divided by our differences than ever before in my lifetime. Political differences, all kind of differences, uh, what country you came from, differences, uh, differences that, that are you a true loyal fan to the Texans? Or are you for those lousy cowboys up there? And you know, even though you live in Texas, um, there, there are all kind of differences. More soon, you know, we as believers ought to be the most embracing, big hearted uh, lovers of people who are different. And I'm talking about racially different. I'm talking about ethnically different. I'm talking about socioeconomically different because that is a huge barrier in our society, how much money somebody's got, and it doesn't mean a thing. I'm talking about somebody who's different politically, the biggest barrier at all in the last year or two in the United States. If they have a completely different political view than you, can you still love that person? That's a test of love. Do you accept people who are different? Six, do you touch people to express love? I'm talking about appropriate touch, of course. But some of you have a little problem with this one because you, you're, not, you're, you're raised British or something, and you don't touch people, and you, you, uh, you just don't do that. Well, let me tell you this. Jesus, God, made you with the privilege and the power of human touch. It expresses love. When Jesus faced the leper, he always, when he healed people, just commanded it to be healed, they were healed. Not this case. Here's a man who's never touched. People don't touch him. Probably been years, maybe decades. He reaches out and touches him, and then he heals him. Can you imagine the love of that? Uh, love, uh, touch is powerful. And I don't care if that's your background or your personality. Touch the person. If Greg Powell walks up to me afterwards and says, Jeff, man, I'm so concerned about my daughter. I'm not going to stand there like a bump on a log and just pray from a distance and shout over there. I'm going to put my arm on Greg's shoulder, and I'm going to pray for him. Touch expresses love. I don't care your background. Seven, are you an encourager? Every single one of us are starved for encouragement, meaningful, sincere affirmation and encouragement because the whole world is beating us down, and every single person you encounter needs some encouragement. Be an encourager. Look to encourage. Number eight, do you consistently speak well of people as opposed to gossip? I think this is the most disobeyed on my list of ten. 
Uh, who doesn't struggle with gossip? All of us. And, and, and God says, you know, that, that is not loving. I, I had a roommate the first eight years of my Christian life, all through college, all through seminary. I was a roommate with John Lovick, a very godly man, and John did not gossip about other people. And once when we were in the same church as young pastors, uh, I was talking to a mutual friend of ours, Alan Rexius, and Alan said, you know, I know John Lovick does not ever talk about me behind my back because John Lovick doesn't talk about anybody behind his back. Um, do you have that reputation? Some of you, some of us, we talk about people behind their backs, and then we come over here and we think that this next person, when we're talking about others, that they're dumb, and that they're not going to realize, if I'm talking about everybody else behind their back, I'm probably going to be talking about you behind your back too. People aren't dumb. They see through gossip, and it is not loving. Lay it aside. Lay it aside. Okay, number nine, do you give generously and joyfully? Every dollar you give to the kingdom of God, whether or not here at your church or, or in some other ministry, translate into meeting needs, spiritual and physical, and expressing the love of God. And it costs you, doesn't it? It costs you right here where it counts. And it is an expression of love that you want to meet needs for Christ's sake, particularly needs of eternity. And finally, 10, do you try to make disciples? Do you try to, to, to lead people to Christ who don't yet know Him and disciple people who do know the, the Lord? You know, we've got our top five over here. We're praying for them. That's an act of love, to pray for uh, people. But, of course, we want to serve them, uh, care for them, uh, be alert to any opportunities God gives us, share the gospel with them. Just about all of us, again, struggle with this one. But what an act of love to share what's most important to us. How I thank God for Rusty Draper sharing Christ with me. Um, there's this uh, well-known YouTube video about a, uh, a comedian, Penn Jillette, who is uh, an atheist. I think he's Jewish atheist, but I'm not sure. But there's a YouTube video about someone trying to share the gospel with him. And it's most interesting. Uh, you, you might want to Google it later, but not right now. And uh, but uh, this YouTube video, Penn Jillette, who's an atheist, said, after a show, Las Vegas, one, one of the guys came up to me and he, he said, I, I want you to have this Bible. It means a lot to me. I'm a follower of Christ. I've written some verses down in the front page of it that maybe you could check out later. You know, uh, could I give that to you? And he said, he, he accepted it. And, and later he, he, he talked about it and he said, you know what? I respect that man for doing that. I, I don't believe like he does, but I respect him. Because he believes that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven, and he cared enough about me to share uh, his belief with me. And then he, he said this question, which haunts me. He said, how much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? He's referring to Christians like you and me who believe that Jesus Christ is the only way to, to heaven and eternity is at stake. He said about those people, us people, how much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? It's an act of love to reach out and share the gospel. So that's my 10 questions. And if you're like me, man, I not only don't make 100, I don't even pass. And uh, I got to raise the bar. I got to raise the bar. And probably you do too. And 
it is the single most important thing in your life to love people the way Christ loved you. You can't do it on your own. You can't do it by, you know, I just got to do this. But fueled up by God's love, you can love others. Stand with me, please. How about just asking God, Lord, where does this touch me? How do I need to respond? Just breathe a prayer. Lord, help me love better. Help us all love better because you have first loved us. Amen.